We're going to talk today about a hot potato. In the, the old days, a hot potato was something that uh, you, you had to handle quickly and carefully or it would burn you. We're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about marriage and divorce. And we're going to talk about it uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. And if you have been alive in the last year, if you've paid attention to the news here in America at all, you know that one of the hottest, most controversial topics today is to talk about marriage and then talk about uh, divorce, too. Everybody's got an opinion on it, from the White House to the courthouse to the outhouse. Everybody has an opinion on marriage. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 10 this morning and next week. We're going to get God's thoughts, try to get God's thoughts on, uh, on marriage and, uh, and marriage and divorce, maybe a little more divorce next Sunday. <clears throat> and, but you find Mark 10, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, it'll be on the screens. But before we jump into the meat of the message, I want to begin with this. This morning, start where you are today. And I'll explain that in a minute. If you're taking notes, we start where we are today. Folks, God always meets us where we are. We're going to see some things this week and next week that may bother you, because they certainly bother me. You may look and see some things, and you're going to say, man, I have really failed in the past in some of these areas. God always, God, what God's concerned about, friend, God is concerned about where you are today and where you're going, okay? So you start where you are today. In other words, your past, what do you do with your past? You seek God's forgiveness for where you've sinned and where you've failed Him, okay? If it's possible, and if you need to, you try to get forgiveness from other people that you may have hurt or may have been involved in and things in your past that aren't good. That's not always possible. Sometimes they're dead. Sometimes they're crazy. Sometimes they're mean. And it's impossible to get things right with someone who is crazy or mean. Amen? You have to agree with that. That's true. And forgive yourself. In Philippians chapter 3, this isn't the main passage, but you can write this down. Let me read it. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of this, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The guy who said this was a murderer. The guy who said this was a Christ and Christian persecutor. He was a guy who hated the church. He becomes a Christian. Here's what Paul says. I can't change my past. I got to get it right with God. I have to get it right with other people as I can. And then I have to accept God's forgiveness and press forward. That's what you and I have to do this morning, okay? God meets us where we are, not to contemn our past, but to help us move forward. You may say this morning and next week as we look at marriage, well, I'm not married. Probably most everybody sitting here in front of me is planning on getting married at some point. Very few 14 and 15-year-olds decide to be a priest or a monk or to be celibate for the rest of their life. That may be what God calls you to do, and that's fine. You are married, or you're going to get married, or you've been married. Whatever your state is, you and I need to know what God says on this subject because we talk to people, we deal with people. Uh, it's such an important part of our life. So let's dive into this, and let's see what God says to us this morning. 
The number one thing this passage teaches is that real marriage is sacred. You notice I put the qualifier there, real marriage, because there's a lot of pseudo-marriages or phony marriages. But from God's perspective, marriage has been, is, and always will be a sacred. Sacred's a big way of saying special, holy, separate, and really important. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 10 in Mark, Jesus left that place and he went out into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him, trying to trap him, trying to trick him. And ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Let me give you a little background. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem for the final showdown. We celebrated that last week, by the way. The cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. Now, where he is is significant. I'm going to show you on a map. Uh, he is, uh, remember, in Jesus' day, Palestine, we'd say the Holy Lands, is divided into three sections. Galilee, Jesus was born, uh, lived in Galilee, Nazareth, that's the Sea of Galilee up there. He hung out in Capernaum. This is Samaria. These were the enemy of the Jews. And then here's Judea where Jerusalem is. A lot of people, a lot of Jewish people, because they hated the Samaritans, when they went to Jerusalem, they would actually cross over. There's the Jordan River. Go over here and then go down. They didn't want to go to Samaria. Jesus would go through Samaria. So Jesus leaves Galilee. He goes through Samaria to Judea. And for some reason, he takes a little trip several miles back over, this is the Jordan River here, into Perea, where he stays a while before going into Jerusalem. Now, what's significant is Perea was ruled by the guy Herod Antipas. We looked at him several weeks ago. Herod Antipas was the guy who had Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, beheaded. Why? Because he didn't like what he said about business meetings, tech baseball, divorce and marriage, divorce and remarriage, and he had him beheaded. So it's like the Pharisees thought, we've got Jesus where we want him. We've got him. We've got him. If he says the wrong thing, the people are going to reject him. If he says something really stupid, Herod's going to arrest him. Herod's going to have him beheaded, and then we'll be done with this Jesus. That's the context here. I began by saying marriage is sacred. It's always been sacred. Marriage was not sacred in Jesus' day, not by the people. It's always easy for us to think, boy, the worst time ever is today. Historically, that's just not true. Read about Noah sometime in his era, <laughs> people. But in Jesus' day, divorce and marriage and the sacredness of marriage was, was almost null and void. Josephus, a Jewish historian, a contemporary of Jesus, said that it was very common for a Jewish man to have more than one wife. Justin Martyr, a, a Christian a leader in the early church, said it was not uncommon for a Jewish man, Jews would have been considered the highly religious of the day, to have four or five wives. Now, they meant one of two things here. They either meant polygamy. Polygamy means that Curtis is married to Mandy and he's got three other women that he's married to. Not good for Curtis, long-term health probably, in my opinion, for multiple reasons. 
Or it meant that these men were marrying and divorcing, marrying and divorcing, and it was just very common. Jesus lived in a Roman Greco world, ruled by the Romans, influenced by Greek philosophy and society. We actually have historical records that show about, about marriage and divorce. One lady, it is discovered in records that she had been married eight times in five years. How many of you agree she needed to go to counseling? See Mr. Brandon sometime, wouldn't that have been good? Another lady, and there's thousands of reports I could give you, another lady had 10 husbands during her lifetime. Now, let me tell you, if I'm counseling her at number seven, you know what I'm saying? It might be you. Correct amendo. It might be you. So what I'm showing you is that we've got a marriage problem here today But it was worse in Jesus' day. When Jesus stepped into the scene and when he's asked about marriage and divorce, he was not in some beaver cleaver, uh, pristine society where everything was perfect, clear, and pure. It it was not good. Marriage hadn't always been sacred. Marriage isn't sacred in America today. But let me tell you, marriage has always been sacred to God. And I'm going to give you several points that flow from that, that that come from this passage. Here's the first one. Divorce has never been God's plan. A concession, something that happens, but it was never God's ideal. In verse 2 through 5, some Pharisees came and tested him, trying to trick him, and they asked him, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, it was because of your hearts, your hearts were hard, that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Now, the same story is told in Matthew, and and the stories absolutely never contradict each other. They supplement each other. It's like if you had five eyewitnesses to something this morning, they can all be telling the truth, but they may give you a little different uh, bent on what happened. In Matthew 19.3, listen to this. This, this opens this up and helps you understand it a little better. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, listen to what they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now we go to what Jesus referred to from the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 24, and, and Brian, you can leave this up here for a moment. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through 4, we're going to look at just verse 1. This was the Old Testament given the certificate of divorce. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing, you notice it was all in favor of the man back then because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, he gives it to her and sends her away from his house. Now, in Jesus' day, there were two rabbis that were, that, that were kind of the theological heroes of the day. They defined things for, for the Jewish people. One was Shammah. Shammah was a conservative rabbi, and his followers were very conservative. They looked at this verse, becomes displeasing and something indecent. What they said was that you could get a divorce if there was adultery or fornication, or some kind of clear sexual uh, misdeed by a person. Again, it was almost all in favor of the man back then instead of the woman. Now, the other school of thought, by the way, which was the most popular, was Rabbi Hila. 
And I am not making this up, and I'm not being flippant. Brian, put that back up there for one second. Hold it there. When it said, give her a certificate of divorce for, if you find anything indecent about her, literally how the Hilla school interpreted this, the popular interpreted this of the day was, that if your wife committed adultery, you can divorce her. If your wife burns the Pop-Tarts, you can divorce her. You following me? If Wayne looks at Stacy and says, you know what? I saw someone I think's cuter than you. He could divorce her. If Justin says, Melissa has been disrespectful to my parents, he can divorce her. And if Greg just decides he likes somebody better than Andrea, he can divorce her. And it was in the middle of this foolishness that they try to bring Jesus into the picture. And Jesus explains what the Deuteronomy 24 was all about to begin with. First of all, the women had no rights. And if a woman was divorced, it was going to be assumed that she had committed adultery, and you could be killed for that if you were a Jewish person. So he said, listen, if you're going to divorce your wife, you have got to have a written bill on good paper that says, my wife didn't commit adultery. My wife is free to remarry. It took time to get this written up. Part of the process was it took rabbis to do it, thinking that hopefully there could be reconciliation. Also, when a Jewish woman married a man back in these days, her family had to give a dowry to the groom's family or to the groom. A dowry just meant they had to give money and maybe if they were wealthy slaves or property. And what men were doing, men were divorcing their wives for any reason and putting on their head an adulteress, whether they were or not, and keeping all this money, this property, and stuff that they had gotten from their family. Jesus said, no, 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 this written bill of divorce, also she's got to get that money, that property, those things back. It protected her and it gave her freedom to remarry. Jesus said, why did Moses have to do this? Why did God institute this in the first place? Because you guys couldn't get it right. Not because he wanted this to happen. It was because you weren't doing the right things to happen. Does divorce happen? Absolutely. We're going to look next Sunday at some biblical reasons for it because there are some reasons. There there are few, but there are some reasons. But it was never God's plan in the beginning, okay? Now, here's the second thing, and I need you to put your seatbelts on because this is going to be uh, an interesting ride. Marriage is for a man and a woman. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. The fact that you're listening, I I take that by faith. (laughs) You know, it's a trust thing. But I'm going to ask for the next few minutes you listen to me the whole time. If you're going to be mad at me for what I say in the next 10 minutes, be mad at me for what I say, not what you thought I said or, or half of what I said. Hear everything that I'm fixing to say on this subject because this is the hottest potato out there today. And if you profess to be a Christ follower, you need to be right on this. You need to be right on this. Hillary Clinton, no doubt running for president in a few years. Isn't it amazing? We just get through one presidential election. Now they're talking about who's running in 216. Can't even catch your breath. Hillary came out a few weeks ago, had a uh, uh, the television. She did a little segment, and she talked about how she's changed her mind and that she is promoting and for gay marriage. 
Her husband, when he was the president, signed a bill against gay marriage, but now he has come out and he has said he is for it. You're a Democrat, maybe. I've made you a little mad. Hold on. Uh, Rob Portman is a senator from Ohio, a Republican senator from Ohio. Last month he came out, or first of this month came out, and he said, I've changed my mind. I am now for gay marriage. You know what he said? My son, we have found out, is homosexual, so now I am for gay marriage. Dick Cheney, who was George Bush's vice president for eight years, uh, obviously a political conservative in many ways for years, has been for gay marriage because his daughter is gay. Right now, your Supreme Court is, is juggling whether to overturn a vote by the people in California to decide whether gay marriage is legal or not. And folks, what they decide is going to have an impact on all of us. Time Magazine, at the end of last month, had a cover story. On the cover of Time Magazine were two men kissing and two women kissing, and it said, gay marriage has already won, despite what the courts say. So here's where I need you to stay with me. I want you to look in your Bibles in verse 6 and 7. The context here is clearly about marriage. He says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. Now, he's, he's referring to a passage in Genesis 1, 27, way back in the beginning. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Okay, stay with me. Here's what I want to tell you. If you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you're going to be hit with this the rest of your life. Here's what you got to decide. Am I going to let a politician tell me what I believe? Am I going to let a magazine tell me what I believe? Am I going to let my children's decisions determine what I believe? Are my brothers and sisters, are my parents' decision determine what I believe? Am I going to let the Supreme Court of the United States determine my beliefs? And the answer to that needs to be no, a strong no. Folks, I want to, and I'm going to say this as loving as I can, God's will is that marriage is between a man and a woman, Okay? Now, here's, here's where we've gotten in trouble. I'm going to chase a rabbit for a second. Christians and churches don't know how to deal with the homosexual issue very well. So we've done one of two things. We've either been mean or we've closed our eyes. We've been mean or we've closed our eyes. And we've said stuff like, well, you know, th th that is completely unacceptable. We don't want them in our church and God hates them, and things like that. We haven't said that, but there are people who are Christians who have. Let me tell you something. You're not struggling with homosexuality today, but you're an adulterer. You think you're any more pleasing to God? You're not married, and you're having sex? And sex is a whole lot more than just intercourse. You're having sex, and you're going to condemn someone for being homosexual? You better watch out. 
And you go, well, I have never committed adultery. I've never committed homosexuality. I'm not a fornicator. I'm just a slanderer. <laughs> the Bible says slanders of the devil and slanders go to hell. Am I making a point? There was a reason Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. You know why? Because we've all got so much that we have to deal with in our own life. And that doesn't make your sin right because I'm a sinner. It doesn't make my sin right because you're a sinner. What Jesus' position is on homosexuality is that it's wrong, but we love the person. We love the person. What is First Baptist's position? It better be Jesus's. Or we're not a church. We're a religious clique, but we're not a church. We're going to love people who are struggling with homosexuality. Just like we're going to love some of you who lie and cheat and gossip and are struggling with pornography. You know what? We love you too. Amen? (laughs) What would we do if we had someone come down to join the church and said, Hey, I'm a homosexual. You know what I would say? We'll talk to you after church. Here's why. We believe to join the church... You are giving your life to Christ. That's the first thing we ask you. Have you given your life to Christ? That involves repentance. doesn't involve being perfect, but it involves that you're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus and be different. I would say the same thing if someone came down this morning and said, you know what, I want to join your church, and I'm an adulterer. <laughs> My wife doesn't know it, but i got three women on the side. Can I join? I want to be a deacon. You know what I'd say? Let's talk after church. <laughs> it's just usually harder to catch that person, isn't it? You see, our position's got to be a position of love and truth. Here's what we do. We go on the truth or the love, don't we? Truth says you are wrong, you're a sinner, and we're going to beat you in the head with it. Love says I'm okay, you're okay. Nothing's wrong. We're all God's creation. The truth is right here. Truth is wrong is wrong and you love people regardless. And that's got to be our position. you got to hold on to the truth, young people, old people, and everybody in between, but you got to do it in love. Okay? Y'all ready to move forward? Let's move forward. Marriage, sacred. Man and a woman. Divorce, never God's idea. In marriage, your top human relationship is your spouse. Marriage is to be the top human relationship of your life. You young people, when you get married, this needs to be numero uno for you. Verse 7, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. Look in Genesis 2. Jesus is going back to Genesis. A man leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, you see... 6,000 years ago in Adam and Eve's time, when that was first written, families stayed together. You might have in a three-tent area, you might have grandma, grandpa, dad, mom, and the newlywed couple all together, okay? And even in that, here's what God was saying. Listen, when you get married, God has got to be more important than anything. And then after that, your, your husband or wife. You know what's wrong in some of the marriages in here today? Mom and dad may live a long way from here, but they are pulling the strings. They are running things. Your husband or your wife is not the most important thing in your life. And, And after your husband and your wife, it ought to be your kids, but it ought to be your husband and wife over your kids. 
It ought to be your husband and wife over your mom and dad. It ought to be your husband and wife over your job. It's to be the top relationship in your life. And the reason a lot of marriages are really struggling is because it's not. Here's the fourth thing. He brings it together. When you get married, when you get married, two become one. Verse 7 and 8, at the beginning, God made a male and female. For this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two become one flesh. They are no longer one, two, but one. In verse 7, the word united literally means to be glued to something or someone. Some of you are going, oh, I feel glued to my spouse. Well, that was glued in a good way is how God intended it. Let's go back to Genesis 2 again and what he says in verse 22 and 23. The Lord God made man from the uh, woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Some people say Adam looked at her and went, whoa, man. She was a good-looking woman. <laughs> For she was taken out of man, glued together. I love that. I love that. You see, when you get married, young people, you're not just getting a roommate that happens to be a lot prettier than your previous roommate, okay? Hopefully, that's true. (laughs) You are becoming one with a person sexually, emotionally, mentally, financially. Let Let me see if I can make some of you married people mad this morning. How can you say you're married and your finances are separate? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Well, that's her checkbook. What are you talking about? I want my wife to make a lot of money and it to be mine too. <laughs> Several years ago in Texas, I was teaching a young adult Sunday school class. And I, you talk, I didn't talk about gay marriage, but what I'm fixing to say to you, I said to them, and they freaked out. I said this, I said... You're married, your husband and your wife need your passwords. I said, if you're married, your husband ought to be able to go through your purse, we'll say, and cell phone anytime he wants. And men, she ought to be able to go through your cell phone and billfold anytime that she wants. And they flipped. Now, men, I'm afraid to go through my wife's purse because I'm afraid I'll get bit by something in there. (laughs) But hey, Ladies, no, no, I'm not talking about some other man. I'm talking about your husband. If you don't want him going through your purse, the answer needs or question needs to be, why? I literally had a bubba come up to me after class that morning. It was a man. He goes, I don't want my wife going through my billfold. I said, why? Well, I might have something in there, you know, like I bought her a gift and I was going to give it to her as a surprise and I didn't want her to see it. I said, you are so full of it. <laughs> what are the, yeah. Twice every decade, you're hiding a gift in your bilfo from your wife. <laughs> the two became one, but they kept their finances separate. They slept in different rooms. They didn't know each other's passwords, and they never would look at each other's stuff, but they're one flesh. No, they're not. See, when you get married, it's a sacred thing. A man and a woman put... After God, themselves first, and they become one flesh. That ought to be cool, shouldn't it? It should. That's God's idea. 
Okay, the last thing. Marriage has always been meant for a lifetime. Top relationship and you're glued to the person, it would almost just make sense, wouldn't it? I love verse 9. We say it in every wedding. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. If you're taking notes, please write this down. The word separate means part, but here's, here's another meaning. It means to make room in between something. See, when you're married, you don't need to let anything put room in between you and your spouse. Now, young people, y'all are older, and hopefully you're not doing this, but your brothers and sisters in children's church are. When you're a kid, you try to put room in between your parents, don't you? Because if you can get, in my house, mama was nice, daddy was mean. So if you could get mama on your side and get some room there, it was good, right? So that's childish. But what God's saying is, he says, you do not let another man, another woman, you don't let your kids, you don't let your parents, you don't let anything get room in between you and your spouse. Nothing should get, get in between you. Now, in Jesus' day, marriage wasn't for a lifetime. In some of the areas where Jesus lived, when a person got married, they would decorate the outside of the newlywed's house with green bay leaves, pretty leaves. And they said some of the couples were already headed for divorce before the leaves turned brown. In America, young people, half of the people who get married get divorced. And no, listen, nobody, nobody when they're 15 or 16 says, hey, you know what? I'm going to get married and divorced. Because we, we've lost the sacredness. We've lost the fact that it's meant to be for a lifetime. I had a guy, a, a, an elderly man, sweet, wonderful man, come up to me one time in another church. He said, Chris, I could never be a Mormon. I said, okay. I said, why? I was thinking, you know, he's going to give me these differences in Mormons and Protestants and all this. And he said, because I, and he was almost in tears. He said, because I read that if you're a Mormon, you're married for eternity. He said, I love my wife, but I can't be married to her forever. I said, well, let's just stick to this lifetime. <laughs> Maybe you make it 50, 60, 70 years. So that's God's ideal. Now let me go back to what we said from the beginning. I am your pastor and your friend, and all I want to do is help you. So we start where we are today. The past is the past. I am never going to kick you for it. You get it right with God. You get it right with other people as you need to. You get it right in your heart. The past is behind you. You let it go. You take these principles of marriage today and tomorrow and for the future. You share them with your kids and your grandkids. You live them out. You hold on to the truth in love, the truth in love. And you set your heart to do things the way God says we all do. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, boy, I just challenge you, challenge you, challenge you. How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in your morals? 
God's looking at the direction you're headed, not from where you're coming from, where you're headed. If you're not a Christian this morning or you're unsure of your relationship with Christ, right where you're seated, would you pray with me? And would you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son, that you died and arose for me. Jesus, today, come into my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a second. I want to challenge you to respond to what Jesus has said to you. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. Will you come in a moment, talk to one of our ministers? Make that decision with Jesus today. Maybe you're ready to join our church family. One way you can do that is just come and ministers will be down here. We can help you do that. Come and join us today. Christian, uh, maybe dad, mom, maybe you want to come as a couple and pray at the altar or pray with a minister. Maybe young people.